good to see you this morning. There's some energy in the room. Amen? We've been lifted up before the throne. Thanks to our mass praise team. Can we give it up for our praise team this morning? Those that you saw leading in worship are a conglomeration of those who regularly lead in worship across our worship services. A special thanks to Lisa Raver, our worship coordinator, and Emily Weaver, our Elevate worship coordinator, putting all of this together. Very thankful for you both combining everybody together. And you know what? We're gonna have to build a bigger church for next year or something. We're, we're tight, amen, right? Imagine three services packed out like this. It'd be fun. So y'all that visit for Christmas, like you can just stay, okay? Just thank you for, for being here and making it warm. Those of you that have been with us, we've been journeying through a sermon series called Prince of Peace. We've been hovering like the angels in Luke chapter 2, verse 14. Got it up on the screen for you. Luke chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. We'll read, it reads like this. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. And over the past four weeks, we've just been piecing this together, phrase by phrase. What was the message that the angels brought to those shepherds? If you want to listen to all that, it's on YouTube, our podcast. You can, you know, this afternoon, if you're not tired of my voice by now, um, you can go listen to those and get caught up. But what's beautiful about the Gospel of Luke is that the whole thing is about Jesus. Amen, it's a gospel, right? It's good news. But Luke wraps his gospel in the warm embrace of peace. It's a gospel that begins with a peace proclamation and one that moves to a gentle greeting. Turn with me to Luke chapter 24, verses 36 and 37. It's where we're gonna spend the bulk of our time today. We've been focusing on the manger. Now we come to the end of at least this chapter in the good news of Jesus. And it says in Luke 24, verses 36 and 37, just as they were talking about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Has anybody just shown up at your house? Hopefully you didn't think they were a ghost, but it can catch you by surprise. And for the disciples, it invoked fear. But Jesus in his calm and gentle way, where before he had sent heavenly angels to proclaim his message of peace, now Jesus comes personally to disciples that are gathered in an upper room. No, the upper room. And what were they telling each other about? Well, the events of the past couple days. You remember Luke 24, the women go to the tomb and they find that it's empty. There's an encounter with a gardener who actually turns out to be Jesus. He's alive, he's alive. The baby born in a manger, grown to a man, the Messiah, death on a cross, resurrection Sunday morning. But the body's gone. Could Jesus be alive. And you know the rest of Luke 24, the road to Emmaus, where the two disciples are journeying to Emmaus from Jerusalem. is about seven miles away. And Jesus, 
accompanies these two travelers to their home. And Jesus asks them, hey, why are you guys so down? And like, are you the only one in Jerusalem that hasn't heard? Heard what? Well, the prophet, the one who was supposed to deliver Israel, he died. They killed him. And now there's reports that he's raised, but we don't quite believe it. And Jesus, the one walking beside them, disguised, begins to open up for them the plan of salvation as it's articulated in the Old Testament. They get home and he says the blessing and he breaks the bread. And immediately there was a way they knew Jesus broke bread in a particular way. They knew it was Jesus. And that very night, Sunday night, they go running back to Jerusalem seven miles and encounter the disciples in the upper room. And there's a quiet knock at the door. Nobody answers. They whisper, hey, it's us. The door flings wide open and everyone is trying to keep their excitement under wraps. Could it be that Jesus, the Messiah, had been raised? But along the way, as Jesus was talking with those two on the road to Emmaus, they said something that I believe encapsulates the entire human experience as to why it was difficult for them to believe that it was truly Jesus. Luke 24, verse 21. We had hoped he was this Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. We had hoped. We had hoped. And somewhere along the way, we all have hoped. Hope has sprung inside of our hearts that something would occur, that something would happen. And somewhere for us between the manger and the cross, we were hoping just like they were. But it always doesn't play out like we'd hoped. Somewhere along the way, we all have hoped. Remember, Melissa and I, we had just moved to Bering Springs, Michigan, was studying at the seminary. She was working as a nurse. And I remember the first shift that she took at the, at the hospital. And it was orientation, so it was days at the time. And she told me it's a 7A to 7P shift. And I was like, fantastic. Get off at 7 p.m. I'm going to have dinner ready. I'm going to clean the house, do all of those things. And I, you know, 6 o'clock came. It's okay, let's, let's, let's start to get this together. So cleaning the house, making sure everything's in order, start cooking dinner. And 7 o'clock comes. Like, ooh, okay, she's close. And then 7.15 comes. Okay, you know, I understand, like, it takes a little bit to get to the car, but once you're off at 7, she's going to be coming home. 7.45, hey, I'm on the way home. And I didn't fully realize that a 7A to 7P shift for nurses means that you really go in about a half an hour early and stay about an hour and a half late. Some of you know. I had hoped that she would be home at a certain time. I was waiting. And then once I figured it out, it's like, okay, I know the game. That's when you're off, okay, and then we can figure it out. But we have all hoped for something, for a relationship restored, for healing to be brought to someone's body or mind, the hope for a baby. We'd hoped that the, the money would come, that we would be able to right the wrongs done in our lives. We all had hoped. So with these dashed hopes, the disciples gathered in that upper room are afraid in the face of peace. Jesus shows up, peace be with you. Oh. But with presence and word, what was Jesus trying to communicate in this moment? First impressions are everything, right? 
So we go back to the story and look at a couple of details. Luke 24, verse 36. And just as they were telling about it, that's the road to Emmaus disciples who were telling them about Jesus. Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you. This experience of Jesus coming and blessing his disciples is a blessing of peace, but it's a personal blessing. Peace himself is standing in the room. Jesus is there with them. And to prove a point, Jesus asked them some questions, verses 38 through 43. Why are you frightened? Well, I mean, Jesus, if somebody just showed up in front of you out of nowhere, like, where did you come from, right? Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Verse 39 continues, look at my hands, look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I am not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. Jesus wanted his disciples to know that it was truly him in body. And as he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. Still, they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. Then he asked them, you got anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he ate it as they watched. Imagine that for a moment. He's like, you guys got anything? Like, I didn't eat anything since Thursday night. It's been kind of a long weekend. Uh, just, and so they're all staring at him as he grabs this piece of fish and he's like, watch, chew, 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 swallow, I can eat. But see, here's the truth. Jesus is actually in the room. Jesus himself is there with the disciples. It's not a messenger. It's not some other form. No, it's Jesus himself. And if that hasn't convinced them enough, Jesus walks over to the wall where they've got the Messiah prophecy chart and he pulls it down, you know, like the old school ones that kind of, right? And you got it. Okay, got it. And he begins to point, Luke 24, verses 44 and 45. Then he said, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand scripture. And he tells them, See, this is what the prophet said about me. This is how it was fulfilled. This is what the prophet said about me. This is how it was fulfilled. Remember baby Jesus in the manger? See, the prophets knew about it long before you. Fulfilled, 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 fulfilled. And then Jesus unfolds for these disciples four guiding principles, which are the four principles that still guide us today. And being a pastor and preaching occasionally, and liking alliteration because it means it sticks in your mind, I have four words that I'll start with S for you to remember these four points today. Story, stock, stake, and spirit. Those are the four principles that Jesus gives his disciples. The first story, Luke 24, verse 46. And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. That is the story that all of our belief is grounded on. Jesus would come, suffer, die, and then rise. It's the story that we, we retell over and over and over again. And Hollywood likes to imitate it, right? There's always the character that goes through adversity, but then comes out triumphant in the end. Jesus did it before it was cool, okay? But it was so much more than just making a show. No, he wanted to ground the human experience in the story of him laying down his life for you and for me. The stock, 
Luke 24, verse 47. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in authority of his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. Amen? That's the stock. That's what you and I get to invest with. We get to go to the bank, God's heavenly bank, and say, I would like some forgiveness, please. I come to you repentant, turning my life around. God, would you restore what's broken? And God unfolds with measure upon measure, grace upon grace in the life and person of Jesus. N.T. Wright says this in his commentary on Luke. The only way forward is the one we all find the hardest at every level, repentance and forgiveness. The resolute application of the gospel under the lordship of the risen savior is the only way forward towards the creation of new hope and possibilities. You wanna live a restored life? Seek God's forgiveness. He extends it freely. You wanna live a restored life? Go around extending forgiveness broadly to the people around you. That's how we partner in making all things new. You want hope, you want new possibilities, forgive, forgive, forgive. That's the stock. Now, what's at stake? Well, Luke 24 verse 48 describes it this way. You are witnesses of all these things. You've seen and you've heard. You have firsthand experience with this gospel message. So internalize the story, invest the stock, and know that what is at stake is your witness. So proclaim broadly, proclaim freely, because you have experienced Jesus yourself. It was true for the disciples, spending at least three and a half years with their Lord and Savior, and hopefully you and I are in that same process as well. That we sit down with Jesus face to face regularly. And from that experience, we go and tell others of the grace and the love that's found in a manger, in a cross, in a tomb, and in a throne. And finally, Spirit, Luke 24, verse 49. And now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised. But stay here in the city till the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with the power from heaven. In January, this is just a commercial, it's free of charge this morning, we're going to be diving into the beginning of the book of Acts and looking at what that fulfillment of the Holy Spirit looks like. So we're just, we're keeping the story rolling. So I'm excited to tell you more about that, but that's January sermons, not today's. What Jesus offers to his disciples is the gift that the Father promised. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit. They're to stay in the city until the Holy Spirit falls, but they are given dynamic power to fulfill the mission and the calling that God has given. Michael Wilcock in the message of Luke's gospel puts it this way, unless the church possesses the promise of the Father, the miracle working power of the Holy Spirit, it is nothing. We shall get nowhere unless we've been clothed with power from on high and are expecting supernatural deeds from the Spirit of God. Do you expect God to show up in your life in 2024? I hope so, because he promises that he will. 
And you're trying and you're hustling and trying to do it all on your own will get you nowhere. But a little bit of God goes a long ways. And he promises that he will give the Holy Spirit freely to all who ask for it. So the story, Messiah came, suffered, died, rose again. The stock, forgiveness, repentance. The stake, we're witnesses. And the spirit, the promise of presence and dynamic power in our lives. I want to go back to verse 36 just for a moment. Remember what we read a moment ago, just as they were telling about it. Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. Peace be with you. In those four words, Jesus has made a million statements. It's a declaration of a current reality for the disciples that peace has literally come into the room and is with them. But it also extends for eternity of a future blessing, blessings not yet told of a God who's willing to be with his people. All of that in four words, peace be with you. Like how author C.S. Lewis puts it in Mere Christianity, God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. You need some peace? Find it in the presence of Jesus. There is no other peace in this world that the world can have to offer that compares to the peace that's found in Jesus. Like how Ellen White writes in the book Desire of Ages, page 804, commenting on this very passage we're looking at today. Jesus is ever ready to speak peace to souls that are burdened with doubts and fears. He waits for us to open the door of the heart to him. Jesus is ever ready. Which means that the peace that Jesus extended to his disciples in that upper room is still on offer to you and me today. That you and I can access that peace. Came across a story a couple weeks ago. Someone emailed it to me. And it told of a representative from the foundation Make-A-Wish. Have you heard of the Make-A-Wish Foundation? That they collect donations and then for those that are terminally ill or a part of difficult circumstances, they make wishes come true so that perhaps for the last part of life, that a young child or a person can have their dreams fulfilled. And it tells of this representative who goes into a hospital room and in this hospital room is a young child who's terminally ill with cancer. And the representative meets with the child and with the parents and begins to describe to the child and the parents that her job is to make any wish come true. She began to describe that some kids wish for a trip to Disneyland or to meet their favorite hero or celebrity or they want this thing or they want that thing. And it's her job to make that desire and that wish for that child true. So they're talking and after a while the Young boy pulls her aside and motions her and says, would you, would you come close? While well, his parents were talking on the other side of the room. And he tells her, my parents don't know how sick I am. They don't understand the extent, but my wish is for them to be at peace when I'm gone. 
how would you respond to that child? The Make-A-Wish representative, who's apparently got the Blake check that can do anything that the child wants, concluded with these words, the representative who had come, to, had come prepared to grant any wish the little patient had requested, but she left that visit aware and crushed that even with their mighty resources, there was nothing she could do to grant this one. So where do we go with peace? We're all longing for peace. And like that child who's desiring peace for his family after he passes, we want peace for ours as well. In Jesus, peace becomes personal. Jesus is the one that can grant that request. You want anything in the world, you want your life together, you want to dedicate your life to Jesus. Follow in his way. Ask for the Holy Spirit. Ask for his peace and he will give it. In Jesus, peace learns its direction, the way that it should go, not as the way that the world offers, but the way that God does. And in Jesus, peace reaches us today. And like that child who desired peace, Jesus also desires peace for us as well. But Jesus is the one who can grant it. He desires that we would experience the fullness of peace and that we would bask in the presence of the Prince of Peace. That's what's on offer this morning. That's what we've been pointed towards over the past couple of weeks. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, is here even today. Shalom is in the room. Peace is in the room. And Jesus, well, he's in the room.